Today, I'm really excited to be speaking with the mother and son duo. This is the first time I've had two guests on the show at once. I think it's really important to be able to share the experiences and stories of both the child and the parent. And today's guests are both dyslexic. Gil is a law student, majoring in finance, and Dr. Zavit is the founder and CEO of Diff Thinking. It's a consultancy practice that specialises in people, culture, leadership and performance strategies. Both Gil and Zavit have been advocating for change within the education and employment sectors to ensure they have better support for young people and adults with dyslexia. I really hope you enjoy today's show. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi. Uh, This is the first time I'm speaking to a family about dyslexia and how it can impact on a family. So thank you again for coming on. Um, Zavit, you and I have known each other for a few years now and you've been advocating for a change for those with the dyslexia for a while now. How did that come about? Um, well, it came about from my experience, but really um, being a mom of dyslexia is more difficult than being dyslexic myself. And I had, and I found myself um, struggling and relieving my high school once again and with all the struggles. So I just um, decided that it's time to speak up. And so that came about when Gil was at school, is that right? Um, yeah, it was a combination of things. Look, um, when I was building my career, I sort of hidden my dyslexia. But when I reached to C-level positions um, and then the kids were diagnosed with dyslexia as well, it sort of felt to me that it's time to speak up. And I don't think that anymore speaking about my dyslexia could affect my career, but on the contrary. And then I was invited to, um, to a conference in the U.S. and met other dyslexic people. And, and we, we all sort of together made a decision that it's time to speak up and, and, and make a change. And um, specifically in this um, Dyslexic Advantage conference, I was um, co-facilitating a group of, of um, CEOs and board of directors, all dyslexic and our decision was that what, where we want to be is that in 10 years times, we want actually headhunters and organizations to look for dyslexic people for their um, dyslexic advantage rather than dyslexic people um, hiding their, their dyslexia at work. So that was sort of, you know, I was a C, um, a C level in organization. I felt that um, it's no longer a disadvantage if I speak about it in the organization. I had my kids um, struggling at school because of dyslexia in this conference. And um, yeah, I made a change and started advocating for dyslexia. Fantastic. And so both your children are diagnosed with dyslexia? Yeah. It, it runs in the family. <laughs> <laughs> like mine, as my um, listeners have heard. It runs in my family as well, from my dad down. Um, so, Gil, you've also been advocating mm-hmm. um, for young people with dyslexia, which is really exciting to have both of you on to talk about um, the way you've advocated for adults and young people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you ended up speaking in Parliament about the challenges students face with dyslexia. Can you share a little bit about that journey for us? 
All right, so a couple of years ago, I was studying for my BC exams um, and doing very intense studying on Facebook, um, well, procrastinating, which I'm very good at. Um, and I saw an advert on Facebook for the House of Representatives. Um, they had a competition. You submit your first speech, like all parliamentarians submit their first speech when they, or when they get elected. And you have three minutes to talk about an issue that you face as a young person and how you want to solve and why you want to solve it. Um, so I decided to make a speech about dyslexia and I submitted my video in and a few weeks later I got a call from um, um, a staffer at the House of Representatives saying that the three members of parliament that were adjudicating the competition um, chose my speech as one of the top three um, and that I will be flying off to Canberra in a few, in a few weeks after that. Um, so I flew there with my dad um, and we got to spend, you know, we toured Parliament House. We met the Prime Minister. We met Julie Bishop um, and a few other, a few other honourable members of the House. Um, and then at the end of the, uh, at the end of the whole trip, um, we all uh, assembled at Tony Smith's office, the uh, the Speaker. Um, he has a very big office with a very big courtyard, and we said our speeches there. So that's just kind of how it all came about, just for me procrastinating during studying for my exams. But it was an incredible experience and it was, it was great to be able to talk about dyslexia and um, the uh, support or lack thereof that is available to students in school that have dyslexia and the kind of the stigma in the, uh, the stigma around dyslexia. How exciting for you to have been able to do that and to be able to showcase um, across mm -hmm. Australia, the challenges that young people are facing. So can you just talk to us a little bit about the daily challenges you face at, you faced at school? Um, yeah, no worries. So uh, at school, there wasn't, a, there wasn't a huge variety of different challenges, but more the fact that they just kept on coming back and consistently um, affecting me, my studies, um, and my, my test scores. Um, in terms of the maths, swapping numbers around, swapping letters around, uh, putting the decimal in the wrong spot, even though I have the answer on my calculator. Um, it would be, you know, the simple things like instead of writing 3.42, writing 3.24. Um, even though I have all the working out and I know all the answers, um, just, you know, my brain not kind of wanting to uh, to work with me. Um, and uh, decided to be a little bit cheeky. But, um, yeah, I also in subjects like English, um, I did get a lot of uh, feedback from my teachers throughout high school that I was um, not putting enough details or not getting the formats right or not paragraphing correctly or uh, formatting my sentences wrong. They have a very strict format in terms of how you quote and sentence in BC. And I just struggled to wrap my head around it. So it kind of, you know, it all links back to like, I, I have the information and I know the answers, but when it comes to, when it comes to kind of um, writing down the answers in terms of how they want it, how they want it, um, the formats and the way that it was all presented and taught, it just didn't didn't really work well with my mind. Um, and so a lot of the time, I get I get a lot of things right, but my teachers would say, "Add more detail here," or "Why didn't you add detail here?" Um, or you know, "Do this better," or "You're obviously not studying for this because you can't seem to get the format right." And I'd be like, well, I've, I have been studying. I've been studying a lot, but it just doesn't sit well. It just, the, the, the formatting just didn't sit very well with me. And that's why I love university so much. It's because it's, you have a lot more freedom. They don't care about 
how they don't give you formats. It's a lot more free flowing. They just say, here's a question. Give me your answers. Do it how you want. Just make sure it's presentable. And I, that's, yeah, it just works a lot better that way. Can, can I add, Shay, um, Gilly was always a good student. He wasn't a bad student. He just didn't perform at the level of his IQ. And with all the teacher-parents interview, when the kids, this, um, he was with us in a teacher-parents interview, um, most of the teachers will, will start always saying, hi, Gilly, how do you feel? You know, do you feel that you put 100% of yourself? And he would say, yeah, yeah. And that's it. It was all very nice. Um, we had only once a teacher-parent interview when Gilly couldn't attend. And that was all of a sudden the opposite experience from all the other teachers' parents' interviews that we had until year nine. That was, I'm talking about year nine. And in this teacher-parent interview, because Gilly wasn't there, all the teachers basically were very blunt and called him lazy and said that he is basically, he knows everything, but it's not on the paper in the exam or the homework. And, and from one person to another, we went from one teacher to another, he's lazy, he's lazy, he's not doing the job, he's, he knows the answers, but he doesn't put them. And then we got to speak with a science teacher. And the science teacher said to us that he is immature. And, and Gilly was mature for his age, um, not overwhelmingly, but not immature. And I said, why do you say that? And she said, well, here I, I'll tell you why. Because he did, we did an exam in science, and he got three out of eight. Um, and then before I gave them the papers back a few days later, I called him, and I basically asked him all the questions and assessed him verbally, and he got the best in all the year level. So mm-hmm. her conclusion was he's not mature enough to understand that in exams he actually needs to write his answers on the paper. And that's when I basically literally put my hands on the head and said, oh my goodness, he's dyslexic and I've never even realized that. Um, and for this school, it was very difficult to accept that he's dyslexic because he's so smart and he's not, um, he wasn't a failure student, he was a good student. Um, and there was this gap though between his marks and his IQ um, that is very, very high. So, um, some of the teachers until the end of year 12 continued blaming him for being lazy rather than dyslexic and couldn't couldn't understand or playing with his dyslexia to be lazy in order not to put the details on the or, or not to write the essay properly rather than understanding that there is here uh, um, an issue yes he is very very smart um, and he sometimes procrastinates, but it's not that he doesn't write the essay uh, properly because he doesn't want to or being lazy. It's just, you know, there is something that, that um, bothers translating what's in your head into the, into the paper. I feel like I've met a kindred spirit because I used to do a lot of the same things that you did at school, Gil, especially the um, decimal points, taking it from <laughs> to the page. Mm. And I only got through accounting on my third try because my um, lecturer would sit with me before every class and go through it with me so he could see, like, what happened to you. They could see what we, we knew the answers. It was just once we tried to translate that onto paper that um, it wasn't coming through like it should have. So how has that affected your confidence? Has that Did that chip away at you, hearing those comments continuously? Because I could imagine as a young 
boy, your man going through secondary school, that um, that could have a big effect on you? Um, it's like, it definitely did have an effect on my confidence. However, like, at some stage, it, like, and it's like, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not good to say this, but it became the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd get used to just going to parent-teacher and, like, getting told this stuff or, like, knowing this stuff. And just accepting the fact that, you know, in year nine, year 10, year 11, like this is just what was going to happen. Um, year 12 was a bit different because we got to choose our own subjects. And um, I actually, I had some pretty good teachers for most of my subjects. Um, so that was, that was helpful. Um, and it was definitely a confidence booster. But I always knew that I wasn't going to limit myself to like what I was being told at school. Um, because I feel like the current education system is just not adequate enough for the um, the people that participate in it. Um, and I kind of knew that university was always going to be the place for me and I was always going to get involved and enjoy university a lot more. So for me, it was less about being, uh, less about losing confidence um, by hearing what the teachers say and more about kind of counting down the days until I can, I can, you know, leave this education system and, join kind of join a system that for me I've always like known I've always been told would much more suit my personality and who I am um so yes it did definitely have an effect on me um albeit it wasn't it wasn't a huge one um per se um, we, we had we had a few times where yeah a couple of times it was it was pretty bad pretty pretty um, bad but uh I don't know. I've always just looked forward to university. Um, I always said to them, and I'm still saying to my daughter, life and success for dyslexic people starts the day high school finishes. Yeah. And it really is. This, this is how it is. You know, you all decide and no one, no one assess you, assesses you because of your titles or whatever, but because of your ability to connect, to create, to, to think strategically, to, to be interdisciplinary, all, all those strengths that we're so good at, all of a sudden when you, as you finish high school, you start shining. And it's amazing that you were able to keep that focus even though you were facing such challenges because I think for some young people that would be enough for them to go, oh, I just want to disengage with the education system altogether and not even worry about trying to get into university. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing that you could keep going and that you had the right supports in place through your parents to be able to do that. I remember speaking with another mother of, of um, her daughter was dyslexic and I kept on saying to her, you know, just remember that you're not dyslexic yourself so you don't understand, but life really, the success, the feeling of success, the, the flourishing starts the day after high school finishes. She looked at me and she said, you sure? You promise me? And I said to her, yes, I promise you. And, and her daughter flourished immediately when she finished high school. It, it just, I think part of the problem is the lack of the training for the teachers. And, uh, you know, because my daughter is in a different school and all the teachers are trained and, and the experience is, is, is amazing. So does she get accommodations now? And Gil, did you get any accommodations when you were doing your 11 and 12? Um, it took almost a battle, you know, worthy to be called World War III. Um, <laughs> but uh, we did get there in the end. Um, 
Yeah, we had a bit of a, a bit of a bit of a battle against uh, a couple. Uh, I guess uh, we basically basically um, well, obviously the diagnosis um, was that he needs to get the um, accommodations. The school refused. We approached um, Vika and um, basically Vika forced the school to uh, provide the accommodations. So you wouldn't have been the only one. That happened only middle year 12. So yeah. the exam for VCE before that he did in year 11 was without any accommodations and all the stacks and everything that he did and, uh, until mid year 12 was without any accommodation. Wow. And it's interesting. We were just in Hobart and they were saying that they, the school, one of the schools um, gives all the students accommodations and all this wonderful support, but by year 11 and 12, they're actually not allowed to use it anymore. Um, particularly for exams, and so they have to kind of wean them off all those accommodations and supports that have got them to that level in the first place, which just seems absurd to me. It just it doesn't make sense because you know the schools the schools flourish on how they do in BC and what the student satisfaction is, and I don't understand why schools would would even care about providing their students with free accommodations, which they can do so easily that would mean that their average VCE score is only higher than what it would be? The um, comment that uh, was repeated to us was, it's not fair for the other kids that he will get extra time. And I would ask why. Mm. It's not, I mean, all research proved that people that don't have, the students that don't have dyslexia, if they get extra time, it doesn't really affect their, their um, scores their marks, right? So why is it not fair for others that a student with dyslexia will get accommodation and get a fair, a fair go to really shine and, 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 and perform at his IQ level? It's very bizarre to me. And you couldn't have been the only dyslexic student in your year level if one in 10 is dyslexic. So there must have been other students that needed to be yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just baffles me, but it's so good that you've been able to move into university because I found that's where I've had the most support as well. Well, I didn't get any in secondary school, but being in uni and still being at uni now, um, yeah. I get a lot more support. Well, university is really great. This, you know, the second I signed up, I, I well, I had the documentations needed. Um, I signed up as a student with dyslexia. And from that second that I signed up, I have an officer who works with the Disability Resource Centre in my university. They are in charge of making sure that any of my accommodations are always being met, making sure that I'm satisfied, making sure that if I have any issues with exams or assignments or anything where unit chairs aren't, like, aren't following what my plan says they should be, I get you know double reading time, double writing time. I can use highlighters in reading time. I can type everything in the computer. Um, I get a drinks break, rest break, you know, it's just, ama it's just amazing to see the immediate support that I received um, at my university. Um, even though my university has 60,000 people and my school has 1,500. Yeah. And, you know, and I still get that incredible individual one-on-one -on -one support with an officer who knows me by name, who helps me, knows my degree, knows what I want to study. Yeah, this, and this all happened within two or three months of me signing up to uni where I was at my school for seven years and it's still, and that, that didn't mean anything to them. It just makes me so sad to hear how many students are missing out on these opportunities to either go to TAFE or university because of the lack of support 
in mm. the school that they're getting and what you know the impact yeah. is having. I think it's lack of support that stems from lack of training um, for all, everyone around in the schooling system, not only the teachers. So comments from careers, you know, would say, oh, Gilly, you probably are not going to go into commerce law because you are dyslexic and Gilly is studying commerce law now, you know. So it's just, you know, the lack, people don't really know what dyslexia is and what dyslexia is not. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those children that don't get that support and don't have the family supporting yeah. would be so much harder. And, and, and exactly, and perhaps his journey was more secure because he has a mother with dyslexia who's, you know, who has a PhD and is a lecturer at the university. Yeah, I think that definitely helps. If you've got um, parents that, like my mum was a school teacher and she supported me, I wouldn't be where I am without her support. And so I think it's, it's just so dependent on your family circumstances, your access to the type of educational interventions you get as to whether you get the opportunity to get to TAFE University. Yeah. So in your family, there's three of you and only one that's been non-dyslexic. We were just having this conversation the other day about neurodiverse and neurotypical family members and having a bit of a debate around um, those that are and those that aren't dyslexic. So what is it like in your family if there's only one non-dyslexic person? Does he feel ganged up on? Oh, he's missing out. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I tell my family too. <laughs> Look at him, he's, he's missing out. He doesn't get to say that he's got the same advantage as Richard Branson. Oh, this is very oh, true. A figure. <laughs> um, but, but I think uh, <laughs> beyond that, we do have the same type of communication. You know, when before we knew about the dyslexia with the kids, um, a guy, I, like I would need to drive somewhere and guy would tell me, you know, 900 feet, you know, drive straight and then 950 meters later, you turn to the right and like I looked at him, what is he talking about? And Gary would translate, you know how in this corner, there, this pink building, it's after the pink building or something like that. So there's, um, we, we are very, the three of us are very visual in our communication. And, and, and sometimes communication goes um, more fluently because of that. Oh, we, Gilly didn't know that I'm dyslexic. We didn't know that he's dyslexic. He came one day, he was in primary school, and he was trying to explain to me that they learned this type of, of a poem that the first line is like the second, the last line or whatever. Um, uh, haiku. Haiku. It's like five syllable, seven syllable, five syllable. I, I believe. I might be wrong. Something like that. <laughs> so he came and he said, this is what we've learned. And I just looked at what that is. He said, mommy, you can't understand like that. He took a pen and a paper and he drew it to me so I'll understand what he's studying. You know, so he's, it's, some, some things are easier, easier for us to communicate. Yeah, I definitely need pictures rather than 900 metres turn right because I'll definitely <laughs> turn this when it was 500 metres, not 900 metres. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've had interesting debates in our family since we've found out how half of us are dyslexic and the other half are not. So it, it makes for good conversations. Um, so what do you hope might happen 
on what needs to change in our community. Gilly, you're going into now university and you're um, moving towards the big wide world, I guess. You're in now working and studying. What do you hope will change for young people um, in your space? Well, given I'm now in my second year of university and I have seen what training and support can do for students with dyslexia and other learning disabilities at a university that really cares about its students. Um, I can kind of look at that and think about what I think should be implemented for schools. And I think it really just stems down to what my mum was saying before about the training for teachers. Um, I'm not talking about full, you know, training about everything that dyslexia is and what it includes. And, but just at the very least, um, a basic, a basic understanding of dyslexia, you know, the relevant, the relevant um, challenges and outcomes that one with dyslexia may face at school, you know, the more relevant things such as um, struggling with formats and not adding details in, swapping numbers around. Um, at, at the very least, as I said, like, just a little bit of training so that the teachers have some sort of understanding because if, if a teacher with no understanding of dyslexia talks to a parent or a student, a parent-teacher interviews and tells them that they're lazy and that they're not going to get anywhere in life, um, the student will feel incredibly, not only disadvantaged, but incredibly down and they may not even want to reach university as we were talking about before. And I think that, that that's probably the worst possible outcome. Um, but with a little bit of training, you know, that, that little bit of extra more positivity from the teacher, the more, a little bit more understanding, or a little bit more support, it can really be a huge confidence booster and a real change between, you know, thinking to yourself, all right, look, I'm not, this is not going to work out. University is not for me. Um, and for some people that's fine. I mean, you know, work for Richard Branson. So, um, but for, you know, but that little bit of support can really be the difference between, you know, Maybe it isn't too bad. Maybe I'm going to reach university and you'll be all right. So I would really like to see, um, I'd really like to see a bit more training for teachers. And I think that this is obviously there's so many dyslexic children. Um, I don't remember the exact numbers, but there's, it's a big chunk of the Australian uh, youth population is dyslexic. Um, I'd like it to be brought up at a more federal level, which is what I kind of tried to do, but I don't think it really worked out <laughs> too well. Um, but yeah, I believe that um, both the budget and the reply budget that were just uh, Tuesday and Thursday, um, they both uh, mentioned that they would be helping uh, a bit more education and whatnot um, and a, more, a bit more um, budgeting towards education. So that's really good. But if we can transfer that money into training teachers um, about dyslexia and other learning disabilities, I think we will see a huge um a huge increase in student satisfaction. Student want to um, to kind of improve themselves and grow and get further educated. I think I, with everything you've just said. Sorry, Zavit. I look. I, I agree with everything that Billy said, but I look at it from a different perspective as well. And um, that's the uh, that's a total different discussion. But I'll just want to um, emphasize that I think we need to have a look at our education system point. Okay, we, yes, we use computers and, you know, iPad and stuff like that in schools, but at, at the end of the day, we still teach and assess 
the same way we did 200 years ago. And I don't think this prepares um, students for the future of jobs. And I think that the future of jobs is very positive towards dyslexic because that's less of the details and, and doing the details and more about creativity, entrepreneurship, strategic thinking, interdisciplinary. And I, I want to see those things implemented at schools rather than focusing on measurements and ATAR and measuring and, and working on your own rather than on collabor collaboratively with others. I think the, the school uh, schools, we have amazing schools, but the, the system itself is still based on, on assumptions that are, um, you know, that are no longer relevant for our society in the future, in the future of our society. And dyslexia is only one of the examples where students actually fall and it's, uh, it affects their self-confidence and it, it basically affects for some of them their entire career. Uh, whereas, so training of the teachers would be would be great but I don't think it's enough I think that we need to really at the federal level to evaluate reevaluate the entire education system well because I mean those skills you need when you go into the workplace you don't work in a siloed approach you work collaboratively you've got to work with multiple stakeholders all those things you just spoke about is what's then transferred into the workplace anyway so that the skills we need lifelong skills to be able to work Gil, can you give us some tips or suggestions for students that might be at school or university that are wanting to do what you're doing right now? Um, yeah, absolutely. So the number one thing for me is to be open and honest about it. Um, I'm not really, I'm, I'm pretty proud to be dyslexic. Um, you know, there's a lot of advantages to it which people don't know about, but I, you know, but we do. Um, and so I don't actually feel a need to kind of be closed. Um, and I think the fact that if you're open about it, people may seem ignorant at first, but they're just uneducated. And, you know, if, yeah, if the teachers don't want to get trained, you know, if the education system doesn't want to support yourself, you've got to help yourself. Um, if I can, you know, if I can teach five of my friends about what the select series and what the positive influences is and what the symptoms or what the challenges that I might face are, these five people, so it's a pyramid effect, basically. These five people go and they teach five people and they teach five people. We all, heard, we, we all know the story. And eventually, in the ideal world, the whole world knows about how amazing this week series. Um, that is obviously unrealistic. If I can just help five of my friends and they can teach five of theirs, that's already 25 people. Um, that's already 25 people that are now educated on dyslexia. So the, my number one tip is to be open and honest about it. I mean, you know, like... Not many people get to say that they share this exact same traits as Richard Branson, Tommy Hilfiger, and John F. Um, and it's, you know, even you know, movie stars, Tom Cruise, Steven Spielberg, um, you know, these people are incredible people that have achieved so much despite their difficulties, and we share something in common with them. So, like, you know, you've got to take it into your stride. There's no point sitting around and complaining and crying because it's not something that you can get rid of and it's not something you can go to the chemist to get a pill for. So the most important thing for me and the number one tip is to be open and honest about it, taking your stride, you know, cop it on the chin and move on and just work with it. And I think that's really important for people to know that um, it doesn't go away, that it's we're born with it, it's there forever, but there's certain things we can put in place to help us manage it. But I, 
I really don't understand this whole discussion. I mean, what do you mean it doesn't go away? It's just our brains are wired in a different way. We think in a different way. It gives us some advantages and some disadvantages. Um, you need to learn to, as you grow up, you need to learn to play with your strengths. And, and follow your passions and play with your strength and, and, and you flourish. Um, and, you know, with really with AI, soon a lot of our problems as dyslexic people will disappear. I mean, when I started my career, and that will reveal now my age, um, you know, but we didn't have automatic signatures for emails because it was just the beginning of emails. And I can't tell you seriously how many people I sent to the wrong building number or gave them the wrong my phone number and, and, and stuff like that. Now we have automatic signature, you know. Uh, so things are getting easier and easier for us. On, and, to, to, and, and there are so many tools now that we didn't have years ago to, that can help us with, you know, dealing with the dyslexia. So I don't see my dyslexia as disability um, at all. What I, what I would like to say is that for parents that are not dyslexic or don't know that they are dyslexic, um, you know, and they have children that are dyslexics, I have seen parents that started crying when they received the diagnosis, and I truly don't understand. Didn't understand why. Um, it is hard to be a parent of uh, of dyslexic children. It's hard for me. It's like for me to like living childhood again. But but the, the you know our actor and what the teacher is writing at the end on the page of the exam does not define who we are and when we can reach in life. And I don't think that we have, that dyslexic people have less um, opportunities uh, in their careers. What we do need to ensure is that the surrounding environment of the school, of the teachers, uh, of parents and families really understand that dyslexia is a different way that the brain is wired. There's nothing wrong with us. And if you accept it, and you understand that there are advantages and you let kids shine and, you know, perform at their capabilities, we, we won't have this discussion. Thank you both for coming on the show today. I really enjoyed speaking to you. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much Thank Thanks you. for giving us the opportunity to speak about it. You're more than welcome. Hopefully we can have you both on again soon. If you'd like to find out more about Gil and his speech to Parliament and Zavit and all the interesting work that she's been doing, then head to the Dear Dyslexic website. Also, if you haven't already done so yet, make sure you sign up to our mailing list so you can keep up to date with all the work that we are doing at the Foundation. Head to deardyslexic.com. And don't forget, if there's anything you've heard today that you've found distressing, you can contact Beyond Blue, 1300 224636 or Lifeline 13. Double one fourteen. Thanks for listening. Until next time, bye for now. Bye.